little bit of Pink Floyd this morning. Can't go wrong with Pink Floyd. I couldn't, I couldn't do the, uh, the actual version of that because there's just one little line in there that uh, has some ugly language. But I, so I went to the instrumental version, uh, symphony version of it anyway, uh, and it's, it's money. Everybody knows it's on money, right? Everybody knows the hook, the cash register, all the ching and chang, and everybody knows. As soon as that hits, you, already, you automatically know what's coming in that song. Uh, so I thought it was appropriate, uh, and you'll find out why in just a minute as we talk about our next topic on our Explain series. And uh, so let me explain what we're going to do. I try to do this every week so we understand where we're at and where we're going. And then uh, we'll talk about the question that we have this week. So uh, every week we've addressed a question. We'll continue addressing one question, not multiple. I'm going to do one. And then I'm going to be as brief as possible while attempting to answer it. And then most of these questions are going to have rabbit trails. And that's great. So if you have something that uh, you have a question for when we're done, give it back to me. Or even better, go home, find it in the Bible, try to, try to figure it out yourself or ask around and see if you can figure it out with some of, your, some of the people sitting around you. All right, but if you can't, then come back to me, and we'll talk about it again, and uh, we'll see if we'll do another question, explain series on Sunday next time, okay? So if you leave here today saying, well, I got that, but I don't, didn't quite get something else, that's fine. Work through it, okay? That's what we're going to do. So uh, we're also, as we're going through this morning, we're going to follow the general format. I'm going to read the question. I'm going to explain it, why it's important. I'm going to do my best to provide the answer, and then we're going to talk about action steps we can take once we have the answer. Everybody ready? Engaged. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Question, what is tithing and should I do it? All right, what is tithing and should I do it? Uh, before I forget, and I'll probably reference this again, I'm, trying, I'm going to try to incorporate some extra resources into everything we do uh, during, the, during the morning experience. And one of these pertains to this topic today, and it's called Giving All Away and Getting It Back Again. It's by uh, David Green, who's the CEO and founder of Hobby Lobby. And it's his summary of his life story, uh, part of his life story, and about why he gives as much as he gives. Uh, I think he gives half of his income away every year. And then uh, I think that the business does some ridiculous amounts, like 30% of their income, 28% of their business income goes out every year to, uh, to charities and organizations around the world. At any rate, he explains why they do that and why it's important to him and his company and how even through the, the recession and through the worst of times over the past few years, his company has grown and grown and grown and his personal life has been blessed, not only financially, but in many other ways. So I highly recommend giving it all away and getting it back again. You can find it uh, on Amazon. Um, or anywhere books are sold, really, okay? So that's my plug for that. I might plug it again, but I just wanted to lay that out there before I forgot. All right, so what is tithing, and why should I do it, or should I do it in general? So that's why I thought this week, Pink Floyd money, perfect, right? The Bible mentions money over 800 times, 800 times. That's a lot of times, all right? That's more than just about any other topic in the Bible, 800 times. And of all of Jesus' parables, more than half of them talk about money. More than half. And he talked a lot. <laughs> he taught, had a lot of parables that he taught people. Half of them were about money. Why did he do that? And why is the Bible filled with that? Because money is where we most often get tripped up in our walk with God, isn't it? It is one of the biggest barriers to either coming to Jesus or to be able to follow him faithfully. It's the one thing that will hang us up. Every single time, if you ask somebody what's the hardest thing in their lives to do is to, have, to, to give, is to give something, and particularly when it comes to our checkbook, right? When we're able to release our income 
back to God. Our money doesn't have as tight of a hold on us because we realize that God is in control of everything, including our finances. So that's why this is important. This is very important. Jesus listed that out that many times because this question is essential to walking a faithful life with Jesus. And when you get that fact, you can unlock a key biblical principle. When you understand that that is a key to how we live with God and our relationship with Him, we unlock that key biblical principle of generosity. It's how we live that separates us from other people. I know there's a, I'm sure there's a few people in your life who are some stingy people, and you may have been a stingy person at one time, and I hope you're working on it, all right? Because we're called to be generous, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. But stinginess and generosity, the two, two sides of this coin that trap us in our lives. But the biblical principle says that we should be generous, and that when we do that, we unlock true freedom and true joy in our lives. John Bunyan has a famous quote that I love, and I think I put it on a slide, Jaden. So if you had that first slide, I'm pretty sure I put it there. Maybe I didn't. We'll see. There you go. John Bunyan says, you have not, or said, he hasn't said it, he's been dead for a while. John Bunyan said, you have not truly lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. John Bunyan was, a, was an awesome man. He knew a lot of things, and that's pretty poignant from him, I think. So that's why this is important. We shouldn't just glaze over the fact or try to put our, duck our head in the sand that money isn't an issue, because it is. It is an issue. If you're going to eat tomorrow or this afternoon, you're going to need money, right? It's important. And how we use it and how we live with it is just as important, especially in our faith. So the answer this morning, I had to break it into two parts. So we're going to break it into two parts. The first question is, what is tithing? And so we're going to answer that first. To find that answer, we have to go way, way back, all right? way, way back, thousands of years ago to the Old Testament, way, way back. Particularly, we're going to zero in on the law this morning. You know, the law in the Old Testament, for those who may be uninitiated and it gets into the weeds a little bit, so I'm going to generalize a, a step. The law was a set of commands given to the ancient Israelites by God so that they could understand the way to live in right relationship with Him and with each other. All right, we have to understand the law was not just a, a system created to worship God. It was, a, it was a set of commands given so that the people of Israel would know how to live with each other and how to live with God the right way. And so it covered lots of different things. There were hundreds of commands detailing everything from family life to business ethics to right sacrifices of the temple. Everything was wrapped up in this law. This was the way they were to live. Everything was covered. Now, many of those commands were recorded by Moses in the book of Leviticus, which I highly recommend if you have a hard time going to sleep, okay? If, if you're going to struggle with sleep, open up Leviticus, read through that, and you're like, oh, I think I'm getting a little sleepy right now. I think I can take a nap. And so if you're going to have a, uh, you know, any kind of insomnia, get Leviticus out, and you'll be cured in no time, all right? And that's not to put down the Word of God, because I believe, as Paul told Timothy, that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, but... Leviticus can, can, can be a bit of a slog to get through, okay? So uh, if you miss the context. But I do want to cover it here because this is where it really begins. Because near the end of Leviticus, God lays out the importance, and really the first time it's mentioned, of the tithe. Leviticus 27.30, I believe I have a slide for that, there we go, says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. 
Now, I put things in quotation marks that might not be, uh, not in quotations, I put things in uh, parentheses that might not be in your Bible. And so I did want to make sure I uh, separated those things out because the question always comes out, well, what's a tithe? A tithe is a tenth, okay? It's, it's a translation. If you go back to the Hebrew in Leviticus, uh, which I'm not going to say the Hebrew word this morning, but if you did, uh, it just translates to tenth, which got translated to the word tithe. So it's just, just semantics, really. It just means a tenth of all things, particularly of the produce uh, and of the trees that is the Lord's. Also, it is holy, and I put that, uh, set that apart too, because holy means set apart. So whenever you see it is holy to the Lord, well, what does that mean? It means it is set apart, taken and set aside for God, okay? So a tenth of all the seed of the land, the fruit of the trees is God's, and it was set apart for him as set in the book of Leviticus, all right? So that what is what the tithe is, because you see the Old Testament was an agricultural economy. They didn't have money, they didn't have coins, they were, they were trading goods by barter system, okay? So whenever they had produce come in from their land, if they wanted to, uh, if you didn't make grapes and somebody made grapes, you would need to trade what you had for somebody who had grapes, and that's how it worked out, okay? And so they would farm, and they would, they would shepherds, and so they would have all this produce that would come in, and so what their tithe was, was a tenth of the crops, their livestock, their fruit that they were given by God from the promised land. That was what was to be tithed, not other forms of income. It was just their produce and things that came from the land. And I'll explain why that's important in a minute. Now, although today we commonly think of the tithe as, as 10%, apparently there's actually three tithes in the Old Testament. And again, getting a little the weeds a little bit, but I thought it was important. Whenever it says, oh, well, God only wants 10%. Well, in the Old Testament, according to Levitical law, you gave two every year and then a third every third year. So on average, you would give up to 23% of your income every, or of your produce or whatever you got from the land every year back to God. And I'll explain where that goes in a minute. Now that's just your tithe because there was also provisions for free will offerings uh, and for other things that you give above and beyond the tithe that would be given to God. So they would be giving 30 to 40% of whatever they had if they were doing it right. And most of the time they didn't. But if they were doing it right, they would give it back to God. Now, the tithe was put in place primarily as a reminder. It wasn't just a command because God needed your money or needed their money. It was there as a reminder. Now, you may remember that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, if you think back to where they were. Slaves in Egypt long, long ago, right? And they were slaves in Egypt, and they were never going to be able to get out until God redeemed them. He bought them back. He saved them from their slavery and brought them to the promised land. They would never have made it to Israel, to what is now modern-day Israel, if they had not had God who came in and rescued them and brought them to that place. And so in doing so, they never would have had crops of their own. They farmed and did things in Egypt that was, would all go straight to Pharaoh. But they never would have had any of that on their own if they had not been redeemed and taken to the promised land. So everything they had was God's anyway. He gave it all to them to begin with. And so whenever he asked for 10%, he says, give the tithe, or sometimes 23%, that when he asked for this tithe back, he's saying, this is a reminder. This is not yours. This is mine. I gave you everything you see. The crops that you have every year come from me because I blessed you. I'm asking you to do this as a reminder to give back to me what I've already given to you. It's not like I'm exacting a toll out of your hard work. You wouldn't have anything if I hadn't given it to you in the first place. And so God used the tithe as a reminder 
to remember that he was their provider and not only themselves. Now, they didn't just go throw it in the building, okay? So if they, if they, if they collected the tithe or when they collected the tithe, they didn't go throw it in the temple or put it on a, a big hill somewhere in a mountain and just let it rot, let all the fruit and the meat and all just let it sit and rot. That, that's, not, that's not how that worked. Right? They would bring it all. The purpose was it was given to the Levites, it was given to the priests, the, the, the class who was, who was in charge of the religious activities of the day. They would give it to them because they didn't have any land. They didn't have a farm. They didn't have any way to raise food on their own. So the tithe was meant to provide for them because they couldn't provide on their own. God did not allow them to own land. So the tithe was to provide for them. And it was also to provide for the widows, the poor, the orphans who were in the community, who through no fault of their own couldn't sustain their own lives, couldn't provide for themselves. And so the tithe would be given to the temple, to the Levites, and then it would be given to the widows and the poor and the orphans that all be brought in and distributed so that everybody had what they needed to get through year by year. All right? That was the way God set it up so that no one went hungry. All right? It was an awesome system if, when it worked well. It just didn't really work well because Israelites were people and they didn't always follow through. But the tithe was a command, not just to be a social net, a social welfare net, or uh, just to remind them, but it was also a heart check. It was a heart check. God put that there for, not only to remind them, but say, okay, what are you going to do when you remember that this is mine? And are you going to remember that this is mine? Are you going to tithe? Are you going to give? And so it was a heart check. Now, Jesus understood this better than anybody. And he constantly, constantly called out the religious elite of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who were supposed to be in charge and supposed to be telling everybody the right way to do things. He was always constantly on them. And he was calling them out, uh, in particular, over money. And he did this because they followed the letter of the law. They would tithe, but they didn't follow the intent of the law. And we see this in Matthew 23, 23, where he told the scribes and Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, I think I have a slide for it, if we'll flip to the next one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, means acting, people who play like there's something that they're not. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus tells them, you should tithe, all right? These you ought to have done. You should tithe. But to tithe with their heart and not just with their head. Their heart was in loving the law, but not God himself, not the one who gave the law. And it wasn't loving the ones around them who were in need. So they give their, their produce tithe. But they did it just so they would look important and not to actually help the widows, the poor, and the orphans to do what God had commanded it to do in the beginning. Jesus recognized the importance of keeping the tithe, and it's not because God needs your money, but because he wants your heart. That's what it boils down to. That's the way it was in the very beginning in Leviticus. That's the way it was 2,000 years later when Jesus was here. And that's the way it is 2,000 years later now with us. God doesn't need your money. But he wants your heart. You see, in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus told the people, he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't do it. God wants 
all of us, not just some of us. That includes our checkbook, because that really determines who we love, doesn't it? It so determines who we love. Ever think about that? I'll talk about an action plan in a minute. You ever think about that, where your money goes? If you look at your budget every month, you'll see where your love is by looking where your money goes. I'll guarantee it. I will guarantee it. If you love to hunt, you will put as much money into shells and better guns and a stand and scent and whatever, the best camo you can find, the best scope you can get. You will pour money into that because you love it. And that's great. I don't wanna, I'm not saying hunting's bad, but I'm just saying you will know where your love is if you look where your money goes. I love sports. I can, I, and my, my wife reminds me every month that I put too much money to, to be able to watch sports, right? I've got every app you can imagine to be able to find sports on television somewhere, somehow, sometime of day, right? And so I, I know that a significant portion of my budget, too much probably, goes towards that because that's where part of my love is. Your money sells you where your heart is. God knew that from the very beginning. You can't serve both God and money. Now, all too often, I think we focus too much on the amount, right? Whenever you hear tithe, and I, sometimes I get questions, I say, well, should I tithe, which is what we're going to cover next, or do I have to give 10%? I think that puts the focus on the wrong place. And I'm just as guilty of this as you are, all right? I, I would love to tell you that I give joyfully and generously every month, that every time I open up my wallet, I'm ready just to pour all the contents out into these baskets or, and give it away to the neighborhood, and, and I'm perfectly happy just to live in a, in, a, in a mud hut while everybody else has everything they need. I don't do that very well. I don't. More often than not, I'm counting to the penny. I'm asking Jennifer, okay, how much did, do, do we give this much, or do we have to give that? That seems like an awful lot of the paycheck went somewhere else this month and not to where I need think I need it to go. Do I have to do that? I'm telling God the whole time I'm giving it, after I'm counting it to the decimal, all right, bringing out my calculator on the phone, calculating that 10%, bam, okay, got it, all right, no more than that. And I'm telling God the whole time, man, I'm, I'm going to give this to you, but I really, really, really could use that money this month to make some ends meet. I got a bill that's really going to be overdue if I don't do it. I got some food that I really would like to have that I'm not going to be able to do. I can't take somebody out this week if I put this in the, pie, the plate this month. I can't do it. I could use this money. But I have to constantly remind myself of the importance of obeying God in all things, including my finances. And that, through my obedience, God is using me to bless others because that's what it's all about. That's ultimately what it's about. The tithe came in not just to sit in the temple and rot, but to feed the poor, the widow, and the orphan, to reach out to the community, to provide for them what they could not provide on their own, to be what God had called them to be, which is a people together, supporting and living together with one another. He didn't do it because he needed it. He did it because he needed their heart, and he wants ours today as well. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I don't know if you drink wine. You might not care if it's bursting with wine. Maybe it's bursting with Miller Lite or Bud Light or something else. I don't know. But the purpose is, and the point of 3.9 here is saying, 3.9 and 10, is telling you that when you honor God with your wealth, when you give, even when it's hard, God will reward you. 
you'll be filled with plenty. Now, I'm going to clarify that a little bit. That doesn't mean we're going to get back dollar for dollar. It's not a transaction. You're not going to put in $1,000 this month, and next month he's going to give you 1010 or 2000 or 3000 and just overflow your checkbook. You might. I don't know. But it's not a transaction command or principle. But he will bless you because he sees you giving. And when he sees your generosity, he helps givers keep on giving and growing. That's how that works. If you're using it for the right way, he's going to keep giving to you because he knows you're going to use it responsibly. It's just like giving a child an allowance or earning their money. We make our children earn their money. They don't get an allowance. They have to do things to get their money every week. And so when they get it every week, I hope that they'll continue to use it to bless others. And I know if they're going to bless others, then what am I going to do? I'm going to give them more money because I want to see them bless somebody else. I don't want to see them just wait. I want to see them give out of their abundance. So I, I encourage you that as you're looking at this, you look at it to see that it is a blessing to others, not just to command to give, just to give. Okay? Now, the, one of the best illustrations I could think of was the relationship with my wife and I. Now, I love my wife, and she hasn't been up here in a year, and so this is just purely coincidental that I happen to have this illustration this morning, so uh, don't don't read too much into this, but I love my wife, and it's one of the chief desires of my life to please her, all right? It is. Now, the way I do that is by giving her the first and the best of everything that I have. Now, in a perfect world, <laughs> let me, let me, let me uh, qualify this. Let me, let me just set this aside. In a perfect world, because this doesn't always happen, this is what happens, right? In a perfect world, she gets the first of my time every day. It doesn't always work out that way, but it should. She gets the first of my time every day. She gets the first of my talents every day. If she needs something done around the house, then I need to be able to employ my talent first to her, then to everybody else second. She gets the first of whatever money we receive for the month. I sacrifice my needs and my wants for the good of my wife and my family. Because I love her, not because I have to give her. I didn't sign, when, I, when we went and filled out the, the marriage certificate and I put my name on it and we said our vows and did all that stuff, I didn't say I'm going to give you the, the, the first and best and most because it's a contractual agreement. And I said, oh, well, that's what it's going to work because that's the way it should work. And I have to hold up to my end of the agreement. I do it because I love her. Because I love her more than I love myself. Or I should. Let me, let me clarify that. I should. And because I love her, I want her not only to survive, not only to have just the bare essentials, but to flourish, to do better every day. I don't consider it a chore to give her all of me or the best of me, but a blessing, right? And by my giving, she, in turn, is able to take better care of her responsibility. She's able to return to give some of her time, her talent, her money, to others, to my children, to others outside of the house. Because I've given to her, she in turn can give to others. When I'm stingy and I keep stuff to myself and I don't give her the best, she in turn has to use more of her time and money and resources to give uh, herself to others, and she doesn't have as much to give. But when I give, she gives, and it keeps on going. We'll be able to be a blessing to each other and bless others through that. 
Now, God desires our relationship with him to be the same. That's the bottom line. God has already richly blessed us. Just like the Israelites, we don't have anything in our lives that he didn't give already. He's already richly blessed you. If you ever think about, wow, I really needed extra money this month, the fact that you have any is pretty good. Okay, there's lots of children we're going to send the boxes to that don't have any or barely enough to survive, don't have clean access to water, don't have a change of clothes every day, don't have these things. We're already richly, richly blessed. God has blessed us already, but he wants our relationship with him to not stop there, but to continue to give so he can continue to bless us. Now, none of us may be millionaires. I'm, if, if you're sitting here in a millionaire, <laughs> I, I didn't know it. I thought I knew you well enough. If you're, if you're keeping that stash off to the side somewhere, you're keeping a good secret, all right, because this is a small town. But, so I don't think any of us are millionaires. Now, some of us probably even struggling financially. I got that. I've been there. I'll be there again. But we can all count the blessings that God has given us if we think long enough. And he desires us to give back the best of ourselves just as he gave the best of himself on the cross so that we can use his love, his mercy, his grace to bless others. That's it. When done right, joy and giving should go together. I shouldn't come up here and grudgingly place it in and say, well, no more than that this month. You got everything you got, God. I'm going to take care of my stuff and see you later, right? That shouldn't be the way it works. That shouldn't be the way it works. The most satisfied and joyful person in heaven. I, could, I already know what it's going to be. I can see, I can picture this. The most joyful and, and happy and satisfied person in heaven is going to be Jesus because he's going to look around and he's going to know that all those around him have been saved from a life of misery, from a life of just surviving to a life of flourishing because he has gave his life that we find it here. He gave so much. He gave everything so that we could have life here. And it is that love, that joy, that generosity that we should mimic that should call us to give to others even when they don't deserve it because we didn't deserve what Jesus did for us. That's why I give. What I love about the Bible, it is not just a set of, of rigid words and just old stories and mess. This is how we live our lives. Everything I do, and I pray everything we do as a people, is changed by encountering the real God who really loves us. And every decision I make, everything I do, should be changed by that. Everything. I'm not gener I'm a generous person naturally. I don't just give. I like to keep things to myself. But because Jesus gave his everything, I am willing to give my everything. He's the only reason. If I had never met him, I would be just as, as stingy and selfish as, as anybody else. But because he died and he gave, I'm more than willing to give. More than willing joyful even sometimes if i'm doing it right now since we should give where should we give it this is a sticking point sometimes in the old testament and during the life of jesus the people would bring their tithes and offerings to the temple which was where god would meet his people all right so they would bring everything to the temple and it all get distributed from that point. Now, obviously, today we have no temple, and we're not ancient Israelites, all right? But there is a place where God still meets his people, and that's called church. Now, as we discussed last week, I don't mean this building. I don't mean these baskets, 
All right? I don't mean the bank account that we hold at whatever bank we got it in. I don't even know. But I don't mean that. I mean that the church, as we discussed last week, is a place where we all gather together. That's where we give it, is where we gather. Because it's for his upbuilding, of his people, of his community, of his tribe. And so that's why we give it and where we give it. In the first century church, they gathered in homes. They didn't even have a building most of the time. So the house church in Corinth, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 16.2, he said, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. So likewise, every single Sunday, the first day of the week, if you didn't know this was the first day, not tomorrow, I always struggle with that, but it's the first day of this week, we always set aside a time to bring all the tithe and offering here. Not because of this building, but because this is where we gather together as his people. The first day of every week. Now for some that could become a sticking point and it's understandable. We've all seen news reports and, and watched the headlines come across the screen of corruption and abuse in churches. Particularly, especially when it comes to money. We've seen pastors and people who have robbed the people blind. Gone off and taken their money and went across the world and lived happily ever after, they think. Now, I can't speak for other churches. I'm not accountable to how they handle their finances. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm not accountable for that. But I think it's extremely, extremely important to be as transparent as possible in, how regard, in regard to how we budget our funds here. Our mission here at Faith is to lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth, as Jesus commanded Every budgetary decision made in this body, by this body, is done with a clear focus on our mission to see the lives in this community transformed by the gospel. So for every single dollar that we spend on paying the bills, a dollar goes out the door to reach and teach, to see our mission fulfilled, to see evangelism happen, to see the good news spread, to have discipleship here so that we understand better who Jesus is and how to better share him with others. Dollar for dollar. Every bill that gets paid, a dollar goes out. And I encourage anybody, especially if you give, to look at the budget. I'll have it. You say, I haven't seen the budget, Pastor. If you haven't seen the budget, first of all, we do an annual meeting every January where I'll, where I'll present the budget so everybody can see it. If you weren't here for that, if you want to see it before the next meeting in January, you can look at it anytime you want to. I don't have anything to hide, all right? I know I can tell you exactly where, where all the pennies come in, where all the pennies go out. I don't know who gives, but I know that I have the amounts, the general amounts. And if you want to see how we allot our money and our funds and where they go, it's there to look at. I'm not ashamed of anything. You can see it. Because I know that we're doing what God has called us to do, to be as transparent as possible and to be able to fulfill our mission of reaching and teaching in this community here. And it is a great weight, and it should be a great weight on my shoulders because as much as God wants us to manage our personal finances well so we can bless others, he has called me and all the leadership in the church to manage our church finances even more so, to be above reproach. I can fudge on my finances, and you might not know it, but I'm not going to fudge, and I pray that I don't. <laughs> I try not to, but I, that we better not, and I better not find that anybody's fudged the finances in this church because then we've got a problem then we're not doing what God has called and commanded us to do. We're here to fulfill his mission together. So whenever you put your money in a plate, in a basket, you don't have a plate, put it in a basket, whether you, wherever or however you give it, eventually we'll have a way to give online. Whatever you, however you work it out, 
that you're giving because God has commanded us to and he wants all of us. And that when you give it, you know it's being put in the right place. That's important. Now, since we believe that there's a real heaven and a real hell, I want to direct, and I pray we all do, want to direct as many people toward heaven and as many people away from hell as we possibly can. We want to invest in the eternal things and not the temporal things. Everything we do should be looking towards eternity, whether it be the church finances or our personal finances. There will be someone, if we do this right, there will be someone standing next to you in heaven because you understood the generosity of Jesus and responded by giving him your time, your talent, and your finances to make sure you did everything you could to get them there. You'll get to look next to you and say, oh, I remember that person. I remember we helped them out as a church one time when they were struggling. I remember that person that I had an extra $5 that God told me to give that month, and I gave it to them, and I was able to meet their need. Or when I bought groceries for them, I was able to meet their need. I was able to do that because I was obedient to God, and he blessed it. Now they're here because I was obedient because God gave so I could give. That's the big picture. It's hard to focus on the big picture because the temporal says, I got to pay the bills this month. I got a family to feed. The, the church doesn't need my money this month. I need my money this month. It's not about the amount. Are you willing to give to him first so that you could be a blessing to someone else? When you do, you will be blessed. Maybe not dollar for dollar, but you will be blessed. I can guarantee it because God said, not because I did. So what do we do from here? Make a plan to give. I'd suggest and I encourage and I try to do this. I do this, my own self and as a family, we do this. Look at our monthly finances. How much goes to the eternal and how much goes to the temporal? Right? As I said, we got our, our budget needs a little, a little bit of adjusting, personally. I need to cut back on a few things. Not because I don't need to watch more sports, because sports is bad. That's nothing to do with it, because I want to be able to give more to one of you when you need it. I want to be able to give more to somebody else outside this church when they need it. And if I can sacrifice a little bit of what my, my wants for somebody else's needs, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And so take a look at your finances every month. How much goes to the eternal and how much to the temporal? How much is God prompting you to give? Maybe he's prompting you to give for the very first time or just a little bit. Maybe it's just to simply start giving. Maybe it's to increase your giving. I don't know. I don't know what it is. That's between you and Jesus. Whatever it is. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice one of your wants to meet somebody's needs. No matter the amount, though, no matter, no matter the percentage, this is going to challenge and stretch us. It does. Every month. It's just like, follow, just like following Jesus and anything else. It is not a one-time thing. Oh, I got that beat. Okay, I'm, I'm giving. No big deal. It will push you to the brink every single month or week or whenever you give. There's always going to be a struggle in the heart. Well, I need that. Uh, I don't know if I can give it. Always will be a struggle. And it should be. It shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. Because it's a sacrifice of yourself to give like he's called us to give. That's how we grow. Little by little, day by day, more like Jesus. So my prayer this week is for all of us 
to ask God to give us an eye, a heart, a checkbook that focuses on the important things, the eternal things, and not the temporal. And that we approach every single day that we have in hands that are open.